today on the show. We're going to be talking about Romans chapter 6, and more specifically, we're going to be talking about slavery in the Bible. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Welcome back. Yeah, today we're going to be finishing off yet another sermon uh, preached at a Calvary Chapel in Colorado. And we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 6, verse 22. We're stuck on this passage where we're referred to as slaves of God, which uh, really shocks some people. They, they, it immediately conjures up um, chattel slavery, the kind of slavery where people get kidnapped um, the slaves are beat, they're raped, uh, all kinds of terrible things. They're held against their will and um, just treated terribly. Now, is that what God is talking about here when we're called slaves of God? And furthermore, that complicates things. That brings up another question. What about slavery in the Old Testament? Why doesn't the God of the Bible explicitly condone slavery in the Old Testament, but rather there seems to be rule set uh, when a slave situation uh, exists where a, um, a Jew or a Hebrew owns a slave. How do you treat your slaves? So there seems to be a situation where it almost feels like the God of the Bible is condoning slavery. What's going on with that? So we started last time. Now this is a part two. So if you're picking up on this, um, and this is the first part that you've heard, go back and listen to part one of Romans chapter six, verse 22. So you're going to get the whole story. This would be a part two where we're going to take all that we've looked at last time. And we saw clearly that the slaver of the slavery of the Old Testament is nothing like chattel slavery. It is not a cruel thing. And actually it, uh, it served a function for the nation of Israel <clears throat> And today we're going to bring this forward now, and we're going to look how it applies to us, being that we are now referred to as slaves of God. And so with that, let's go ahead and jump right in. Today we're going to keep going on the subject that we talked about last week. If you guys weren't here last week, we talked about, we got stuck on Romans chapter 6, verse 22. If you guys want to turn there real quick. Um, Romans 6, 22, or I could just read it to you once I find it. Where'd it go? That's a problem with having small writing in your Bibles. You can't find anything. <laughs> um, 6, 22, so... But now, being made free from sin and become slaves to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. And so last week we got stuck on that verse. It's, um, it's a little bit of a disturbing topic at first. When you first look at it, there's actually two issues that come to light here. First of all, we're called slaves of God. That 
doesn't settle well for a lot of people, especially here in the United States. You look at uh, what we think of as slavery, and it doesn't paint a very nice picture. So that's one issue. Um, then we went back, we looked at um, slavery in the Old Testament and what it looked like to be a slave according to the Bible, because the Bible doesn't really... You guys hearing that? What was that? Uh, the Bible doesn't appear to condemn slavery in the Old or the New Testament. So what's going on? So we went back and we looked at what it looked like to be a slave in Old Testament times uh, in Israel. Okay? And it wasn't as bad as all the images we had in our heads. Um, then I told you that this week we would come back in and we would look at what that means then. Okay? So if we're slaves of God, how do we apply that to our lives. And so that's what we're going to look at today. There is a massive rabbit trail coming amidst all of this, you know, because that's fairly typical when I teach. Um, so first of all, in review, uh, what does uh, the, the Greek word that's used in the Bible, oftentimes translated servant or bond servant, but is translated incorrectly, obviously because it's an uncomfortable thing, it's normally, or should be translated, slave. Does anybody remember what that word is? It's okay. It's doulos. Okay. It, it, we're going to keep coming back to this. Every time you see bondservant or servant in your Bible, in the New Testament, if you look at the Greek behind that word, you're going to see most of the time, if not all the time, it's going to be that word doulos, which doulos means slave. Uh, and then there is the word for uh, master, and in the Greek, it's, it's, it's interesting because this word master, is uh, the, the Greek for it is kurios. But oftentimes kurios is also translated as Lord, you know, addressing our God, our Jesus, you know. So anyway, um, in review, how does somebody become a slave? Uh, in biblical times, there was four different ways somebody could become a slave. You could be kidnapped, but under the Mosaic law, that was a death Sentence. If you were caught with a kidnapped slave, or you were one who kidnapped people to make them slaves, and you were caught, that was a death sentence. So, as far as biblical slavery goes, that's not what we're talking about here, right? Because God doesn't kidnap us. Uh, second way is you could become a slave of war, right? You make war against uh, the people of God, and, and uh, God's people win. Well, you have two choices. You can either kill everybody off. I guess there's three choices. You can kill them off, you can leave them there to starve, or you can take them back to your country, whoever survived, usually the women and children. So you take them back, you take them in, you raise them. Um, yes, they serve you, and they are slaves, but eventually they are assimilated into the culture to a certain extent, and they're treated like hired servants uh, once they show to be faithful. Okay, uh, next, you can become a slave by committing crimes. And I kind of thought this was a little bit funny because, you know, a criminal, uh, typically here and around the world, when somebody commits a crime and they're busted, uh, what happens? We, we lock them up, right? And then at the taxpayer's expense, we have to pay for them to sit there in a nice comfy cell. Meanwhile, the person that was wronged by the criminal, they don't really get a whole lot of restitution out of it, Right. But in the biblical system, if you commit a crime you and you're caught, you have to pay back the person you wronged 
a lot, sometimes several times, even up to seven times, the value of what you broke or vandalized or stole. And if you're not able to make that restitution, well, what happens? You become that person's slave. You have to sell yourself to them, which is kind of, I don't know, I think that's justice, personally. I think we would have a lot less crime if that was done. Um, and then lastly, um, you could become a slave via debt. If you owed a debt, you had borrowed irresponsibly or whatever, and you were unable to pay that debt off, you had the choice to sell yourself uh, as a slave. Now, uh, I mentioned last time a couple things. Uh, actually, I mentioned something a little incorrectly, um, but every seven years, all the slaves were to be set free. I mix that up. I called that the year of Jubilee. It's not the year of Jubilee, but every seven years, you are to let the slaves go free. That's one thing. Every 50 years is the year of Jubilee, and all slaves are set free then, too. Okay? Does that make sense? So, and then if you are a family member of somebody who had to sell themselves into slavery, you could purchase them back out, which also is a lot different than what we would get in our heads as far as when we think about slavery. It's a lot different. So, anyway... So we talked about treatment of slaves and what was to be expected of them. And then I told you today we would go back in. We would, uh, there'd be a little bit of review, but we're going to look at how that applies to the Christian life. What that looks like as far as we're concerned. So um, starting off, I guess right away we see that um, a slave, biblically, was purchased, right? They owed a debt, whether they committed a crime and they owed the person they wronged, which definitely applies to us. We have this sin debt. Uh, or they just borrowed irresponsibly. Either way, they owed this debt. They couldn't pay it. What do they do? They get sold into slavery. We have been purchased. And we see that language throughout the New Testament. We are purchased. Christ bought us at a price. He paid his, his blood, you know, uh, to save us from our sins, to pay for, for the debt we owe. In fact, his last words, you know, it is finished, in the Greek is to telestai, which means paid in full, okay? So we've been purchased. Um, and in that now, we see that imagery of being slaves of God. And, and actually, I should stop right there and just mention again, if you weren't here last week, I want to make sure you get this. There's a lot of ways that we're described in the Bible, okay? We're adopted as sons. We're the bride of Christ. We're uh, children of God. We're friends of Christ. Uh, in fact, uh, when we were praying this morning, uh, I think it was Craig that said, uh, we're his hands and feet. Actually, that fits really well, too, too. There's a lot of ways that we're referred to, and they all are imagery. They're all shadows and types that teach us about a relationship with God. So don't get totally hung up on this one thing where we're slaves of God. There's a lot of ways we're referred to. And, uh, you know, being a bride or a king or a priest versus being a slave, those are pretty diametrically opposed, right? These are all images that teach us about our relationship and standing before God, okay? So we're exploring just the slave aspect of it. Um, so... Being that we've been purchased, a slave is exclusively owned by what? How many masters? One. One. 
owned by one master. Likewise, we should be serving only one master. Uh, first scripture of the day, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Uh, no one can serve two masters. This is Jesus speaking. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And so that teaching, you see that manifest in uh, a few different ways throughout the New Testament. But the same idea, and again, like I said, now that you've kind of got acquainted with this idea of being a slave of God, it's all over the New Testament. As you're reading through, you see this imagery everywhere. And right here, no one can serve two masters. Um, and, and we do that in so many different ways. You know, some of us, some of us it's, uh, you know, it's sports. We get so excited about it. Some of us, it's our careers. I think a lot of us, we get stuck in that rut, right? I mean, we, right from day one, you know, or when you start school and you're really thinking about what you're going to do with your life, and especially when you hit college, and then right after that, it's you're, you just career, career, career. And it's good to support your family. In fact, the Bible says if you don't support your family, you're worse, or provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel, right? But our master should not be money, you know, we put Christ first. He is the one that purchased us. So we have one master. Um, another thing that's interesting, slaves, and, and Russ and I have both touched on this. In fact, I, I slipped this into a sermon about two or three months ago and got me in a little bit of trouble. But uh, slaves don't tell the master what to do. Okay. There's, there are some churches nowadays, uh, the Word of Faith movement, that really gets into declaring their will to God and then expecting God to do it. That doesn't fit with this imagery of being a slave. You don't tell God what to do, right? Likewise, we don't tell God what we're going to do. We don't say, God, I'm, I'm going to just go do this. We get our instructions from this. Now, sometimes... Sometimes there's no direct command for a situation that we're in. There's no, uh, uh, I, I just said it the best way, there's no direct command. And so we do our best to represent the master as best we can. Okay, does that make sense? Uh, but we don't tell God what to do, and we don't tell him what we're going to do. In fact, that reminds me of uh, that passage in James, where James is talking about, um, uh, you know, this is what I'm going to do here next year. I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to go do that. And James calls that arrogant and evil boasting. And he says, if the, you should say it this way. If the Lord wills, we will live this and do this and that. So that's in James chapter 4, verse 15. Russell, get there. and You're what, chapter 3 now, barely? Four. Oh, so you're pretty much right on top of that. All right. Um, also, uh, the slave didn't always know what the master's plans were. They weren't always privy to the master's plans. We've got this book here. Obviously, we've got uh, prophecy that we can look at. But as far as us specifically, we often don't fully know what God's got in store for us tomorrow. And so that, that kind of follows through. There's a really neat book out there. And I think everybody can look back at their lives and see a lot of this, signs of this in their life. But uh, there's an autobiography about George Mueller. I don't know if anybody here has read that. It is awesome. Talks about a guy who um, felt strongly led to start an orphanage. 
And he ends up doing that, and he follows through. And this biography, it, it's filled with just one instance after another where, like, he'd wake up in the morning, and there'd be no food. Like, they have zero food, nothing to feed the kids. And he's just praying to God, and he's begging God for help, and he's trusting the Lord. And um, he doesn't know what God's plan is, but he's just trusting God. He goes ahead and sets the table, and then there's a knock at the door. And there's a guy at the door that was driving a, uh, a vehicle that was carrying milk. It broke down, and he's like, all the milk's going to spoil. Do you guys want it? <laughs> So they have all this milk, and then moments later, there's another dot knock at the door, and there's a guy that's there, and he's like, well, I've got this shipment of fresh bread, and my vehicle broke, and do you guys want the bread? And so they end up with, with uh, their food, and in this biography, it's just loaded with stories like this, and he goes from a small group of like five kids up to, um, gosh, I want to say there was a couple hundred kids at his orphanage, I mean, Tons of buildings. He just continued to get provided for uh, monetarily and, and food and resources. It was just, it's just amazing. We don't know what our tomorrow looks like, but we know that our master will take care of us. And on that note, uh, a slave, you know, when they're purchased, they're taken in. They're given shelter. They're given food. They're taken care of. And, you know, Jesus, he even, he said, he told us that, you know, we're not supposed to worry about what we're supposed to or what we're going to eat and drink and these types of things. The Father knows. He knows our needs, and we're to seek his kingdom first, and the rest will be added unto us. We also know that our master protects us, just like biblical slaves. We are protected by this master. Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verses 5 and 6 says, uh, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Of course, I, I think all of us have seen that protection in our lives too. I mean, uh, some of us more than others. Gosh, even when I was an enemy of God, there was that, that was, it was, it was if, as if God was outside of space and time. He knew what he had planned for me, and even back then, as much of a disaster as I was as a youth, he protected me. All those times jumping on and off trains and holding on to the roof of my buddy's sports car and doing 100 miles per hour outside, you know, catching mosquitoes in your mouth. Um, yeah, praise God. No, he's good. He protects his kids. Um, <laughs> Like slaves, you know, I mentioned this last time too, uh, a slave was often given a new name. And according to Revelation 3.12, we're given a new name. That's going to be interesting too. What's that going to look like? What, you know, I, I would imagine our names will be based off things that God sees in us. I don't know. It's going to be neat. Um, also, uh, slaves, biblically, were forced to take a, a day off every week. They were forced to. They had to take the Sabbath off. Um, likewise, we should be taking a day off every week, a day for rest. And the slaves were also to observe all the feasts of the Lord. Okay? Likewise, we need to take time and rest and focus on our God. Okay? And to celebrate the things that he's done. Also, um, 
given work. Slaves had to do something. They were given tasks. They had their jobs that they had to fulfill. And uh, they were fully devoted to the master's service in that. It was the master's will. Not their will be done, but the master's will. Um, And we know that, uh, what I mentioned last week, the master would not rule over these slaves with rigor, and he wouldn't be overly burdensome. Okay? Even Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, he said, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay? We too have been given tasks from the Lord. I mean, there's so many things that we could be and are doing for the Lord. We're all supposed to be taking part in God's harvest. There, there's, there's planting, there's watering, there's tending his crop, you know? Or, or tending the sheep, if you will. We're all taking part in that. We're supposed to be. And there's, there's so many different ways uh, that we can plug in to do just that. Um, so many different ways. There are ways that you can do it in your personal life. There are ways you can obviously do, it, do that for a ministry, right? Different ways that you can plug in. And, and God equips us, just like the master would equip his slaves, he would equip, God, our master, equips us for the work that he has for us, whether it's through his instruction manual, the Bible, or through life's lessons. We're like biblical slaves. We're to do this work without complaining. That's hard to do sometimes. Just think about my daughter when I ask her to empty the dishwasher. It's just like, ah. You know, but sometimes we do that. You know, we'll feel that unction from the Holy Spirit to go do something. Go talk to that guy, you know, something. And you're just like, but we're to serve without complaint, without grumbling. Okay? Um, Also, the master has many slaves. We're not to hinder, distract, hurt, slow down any of the other slaves from doing their jobs. They got stuff to do too. So if anything, we should try to help them. But we don't stand in their way. We don't hinder them. Um, Another thing about biblical slavery, uh, these slaves were to be always available for their master. At a drop of a dime, they would be there for their master. And, um, you know, this is something that I, I know I'm guilty of. I book myself so ridiculously solid on my schedule that when there's an opportunity Uh, you know, some odd opportunity that comes along to serve the Lord, I'm always full of excuses. It's like, gosh, God, I'm so busy right now. How am I going to fit in the schedule? We need to be flexible. You know, I don't know. Everybody knows their own life. They know their own schedules. But we need to try and make ourselves available for the things of God. Amen? Make sense? Um, So, rabbit trail time. Because we're talking about being slaves of God. This was not planned, okay? We've got this servants meeting today. We didn't even think this through. Russ and I didn't plan this. This was God that planned this, but suddenly it occurred to us last week, we're having uh, dinner talking about this servants meeting, and it, and it hit us, wow, we're talking about being slaves of God, and here we've got a servants meeting at the church. So yeah, it, it's, it's clearly God is doing something here. So I wanted to kind of go off-road a little bit not too much. It'll be short, but kind of uh, um, 
an addendum, if you will, to what we're going to be talking about after church. Talk about some characteristics of uh, the people that should be serving, right? Or maybe I should say it this way. The people that serve, these are the characteristics that we would expect of them. Does that make sense? You know, these are all the, the things I want to talk about are all things that apply to your Christian life too. Whether you serve here, you serve another ministry, or, I mean, let's face it, we all have a ministry, even if we're not, you know, out there on the street witnessing or doing something here, everybody's got a ministry. You go to work every day, you talk to people, you cross paths with people, you have a ministry. If you're a Christian, you have a ministry. And these are traits that fit with that regardless. But if you're serving here, or any other ministry for that matter, like an actual church, people look at you a little bit closer than they do if they just know you're a Christian. I don't know why, but when you're in your spot serving in a ministry, people will look at you under a magnifying glass. Maybe not as much as if you run for president, but they will look at you closer. (laughs) So we want to look at some of these things. Um, I think the overarching theme here is that we should be looking to, in all of our actions, please our master. Amen? Amen. That's, that's the theme here. Okay? So, with that, consider that as you're serving, uh, you're kind of an evangelist. You're representing, yeah, you're representing Calvary Chapel. But that's not the issue here. You're representing God. And so, everything you do is being seen through that light, okay? So, first thing, humility. This is probably the most important trait, okay? When we, when we serve God, we should be serving in a way that is humble. Um, everybody here knows that you're supposed to refer to me as the most high, holy, reverend, Pastor Mike Bohm. But <laughs> that's because I'm the most humble here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> But, no, really, a lot of people get all caught up on titles, right? Does that make sense? People are always so infatuated with titles and positions. None of that matters. It's pleasing our master. That's what matters. If you're seeking a title, um, check your motives, right? Uh, In fact, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6. Not with eye service, speaking to uh, servants, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants, again that Greek word, doulos, slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Okay, so if you're given a, a position here or even a title, yeah, don't seek that. That's a lot of times it's, you're, you're desiring to be seen by men. All right, we're supposed to serve in humility. Um, also, I guess another thing to mention, if you are put in charge of something, and this goes for all ministry, uh, it shouldn't, when you're delegating, things should not come off bossy. If you see something that needs to be done, it needs to be delivered in a gentle, loving, tactful, humble way, right? And it shouldn't come off as, as bossy. Um, another trait that I think is really important. I am breezing through my notes so that we can have time for the servants meeting. Another trait that's that's very important is uh, forgiveness. And 
Danielle, I know I just slipped, uh, skipped a slide, but uh, forgiveness is a huge, huge issue. See, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 uh, to 14. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, there's that word, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. See, we've been forgiven so much. We all have piles of sin that God has nailed to the cross. We've got problems. We've got issues. Likewise, all of the people around you that are serving in ministry with you, they got issues, and they're going to wrong you, and they're at times going to say silly things that are going to get your goat. Um, they're, you know, it's going to happen, right? We need to walk in forgiveness. Just as we were forgiven, we forgive others, okay? We don't want to hold grudges. Um, another thing is um, causing dissension, and that can happen. So-and-so did this, and the, and the gossip mill starts going, and people start talking about other people. We need, we need to forgive. Let it go. I suppose uh, in the realm of gossip, because that's another thing I want to talk about anyway, um, gossip happens too. You might know something about somebody. Um, we need to be confidential with what we know. You know, if something, you know something about somebody that's going to hurt them. You know, and Christians, we're so good at this too. It's like, you know, oh, we really need to pray for so-and-so because they've got this issue. You know, and next, you know, we're just totally gossiping, right? But no, then, and that's how we do it. No, just let it go, okay? Yeah, pray for them. If, if they know that you know, maybe you even approach them and uh, see what you can do to minister to them. But don't spread it around, okay? Also, in the realm of gossip, if, uh, if leadership does something that is not perfect, I know that we almost always do everything perfect, but uh, rather than talking to other people about it and getting the clicks going and the, and the rumor mills going, just come to us, talk to us. There might be a perfectly legit reason that you haven't considered, or maybe we just didn't consider something and we need to grow a little bit, Right? But either way, let's not cause any dissension. Um, I guess on that note, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13. Danielle, I'm sorry, I'm just, just skipping everywhere here. Uh, a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is faithful, who is of a faithful spirit, conceals a matter. It's not talking about deceit here. It's just talking about using some discretion, you know? Sometimes you just don't spread it. You don't pass it on. Amen. Does that make sense? Okay, we should be slow to wrath. James chapter 1, verse 19. Russ covered this probably about six months ago, I'm going to guess. Um, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. So, listen more, speak less, and if somebody... Uh, uh, Gets your goat, don't respond back in kind. Don't respond in wrath. In fact, how do you respond? Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. 
A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Boy, that, that, that'll preach volumes to anybody that's married here. <laughs> you know, when tensions are rising and things are escalating, a soft answer turns away wrath. Um, I can't say I've done that every time. Danielle's smiling at me. She's lifting an eyebrow at me. Um, but amen, right? You know, when, when uh, there's a situation escalating and tensions are rising, a simple soft answer versus responding in kind can often defuse a bomb. Or you respond in kind and everything blows up. <laughs> um, another thing, as far as servants go here, speech. How you're, how you're speaking. Make sure your speech is glorifying God, right? We want to be careful not to, um, you know, foul language, inappropriate jokes. Um, gosh, even sometimes we have Christian versions of uh, swear words, right? We all have them. We have our substitutes. In fact, I think I even said one up here this morning. Oh my gosh. Well, that's kind of a substitute for blasphemy, right? It's, it's so hard to weed this stuff out of your language. But even some of the substitutes are um, something you should avoid. So, I mean, you know, just consider how you're speaking. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it, might, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So, just a few things, guys. Not a whole lot. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about what's expected, but I just want to talk about this up here. I suppose also, if you're serving, and even if you're not, you should try to be in the Word every day. Because your master, your master's not Russ and I. Your master wrote this, the instruction manual, and we need to be in it daily to learn more about our master. You know, sometimes we're, we're faced with situations um, that we don't know how to handle. Well, the answer's right here. It's somewhere in there. And the more we know about our master and what he expects us, the, the better we are at pleasing him. So, there's a rabbit trail. We're going to reel back in. We're going to come back to uh, these attributes of being a slave of God. And everything I just talked about, that fits, right? It fits with being a slave of God anyway. We're supposed to please our master. We're supposed to respect our master. We're supposed to go out of our way to make sure our, our master is happy with us, no matter where we serve. Now, what, no matter what task he sets us to, right? So coming back, um, like biblical slaves, we're, re we're required to obey all the master's commands, not just some. So obviously, we've got his word. Uh, a slave, when there's a direct command, is to do exactly what he is commanded to do, okay? And then in areas where the slave has no direct command, he's supposed to take what he knows about his master and do his very best to try and please his master, even though he's not entirely sure how to handle the situation. And that's the same with us. We've got his word. We've got his instructions. There are some very explicit commands in the Bibles, do's and do nots. There's also situations that we all face in life where we're kind of like, wow, this is a little bit of a dilemma. I don't know what to do here. Well, Praise God, we're under grace, but as best we can, we know his character, and we can try and uh, do what we're pretty sure he would be pleased with. Like slaves, 
You know, slaves uh, uh, were sometimes disciplined. Sometimes they had to receive some discipline. Well, we too can expect at times some chastisement or discipline. Uh, I've never received any discipline, but uh, I know all you heathens have. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. See, there's another one of those titles that we have, uh, imagery. My son, do not despise the the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So, yeah, amen. I mean, one, we see that imagery of being called sons, which is beautiful. Um, But, you know, who here, who is a parent, hasn't chastised their kids? And so, we rejoice in that, right? We know that God loves us. Sometimes we have to endure some chasing, but take courage, or take uh, comfort in the fact that he does love us. Okay, so slaves also are totally accountable to their masters. So in that, we value our master's opinion above anything else. You know, so the world looks at us, they see us as a peculiar people, and some of you guys are pretty peculiar. And, uh, come on, nobody laughed at that? Some weird people here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the world looks at us, they, think they see us as a peculiar people. We, uh, we are to stand out. We are to be set apart from the world. And um, because, I mean, we're supposed to only care about what our master values. It doesn't matter what the world thinks, right? I mean, within reason, of course, we want to be winsome to the gospel. But that also leads right back to pleasing our master, Right? We want to live and look and act in such a way that draws people, attracts them to God, his word, and the gospel. Um, So in that sense, we do want to be attractive. But overall, it still comes back to pleasing the master. Um, And then also, I guess on that note, we have to give an account to our master. You know, it, it makes me think of that parable in Matthew chapter 25. Uh, this master, Kurios, says to his slaves, uh, I'm going to go away to a faraway country, and I'm going to entrust in you guys some talents. Um, and he gives some, like two, and, and others he gives more, and then he goes away. And then he comes back, and there's an accounting. Every one of those servants has to give an account to uh, the master on how they used those talents. Um, Some of them did good. Some of them did not do good at all. Well, uh, we too have to give an account to our master. Hebrews chapter 14, verse 10 uh, through 12. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the Lord, I'm sorry, before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as long as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, amen. Every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Well, that's, that's terrible. 
Oh, you're shaking your head like. Uh, did I say the wrong scripture, friends? Ah, good catch. See, I wanted to see if you guys were paying attention, and you were. So, Romans. Well, you can always count on your wife, right? She's the barometer. You look back at her and you know something's not right. Um, so, no, but, you know, and I'm not trying to scare anybody here, but can you imagine that? Standing before Christ himself and giving an account of your works? That's kind of scary. I mean, yeah, we're covered by the blood. Our sins have been paid for. But still, to stand before the master and give an account for how you spent your life, all the little decisions you made. It's, uh, it's something that is worth a week's worth of devotions, honestly. Um, we should all be praying about this. We will have to give an account. And faithful slaves that serve in an outstanding way receive a, war, a reward. Uh, we too, if we're faithful, we can look forward to rewards from our master. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and, and then he will reward each according to his works. So that is exciting. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. We should walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, and we do this, lastly, the last scripture of the day, so we can hear the words that every Christian desperately wants to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, teaching us about this imagery. We know that you're not an oppressive master. We know that you're not a master that beats his slaves. Um, we know that you don't kidnap your slaves, but you did purchase them. You're an awesome master, and you take care of us. You do give us work to do, and God, please help us to serve to the best of our ability. Holy Spirit, empower us. God, inspire us to get in your word every single day so we can learn more and more how to please you. And Lord, may we please you. And God, we beg you that of every last single one of us, Lord, that you would say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing it out loud. Tell